All right, so Acts 20, and we um, are affirming elders and deacons today, and uh, to let you know how the process goes, remind you of it, the elders and the deacons, they have um, been nominated, they have been um, interviewed and vetted by our elders, and um, in the case of the deacons, interviewed and vetted by an elder and a deacon, um, along with their wives, and so we have men that are um, coming on to the elder board and deacon board this morning. We have other men that are currently on the elder board and deacon board, and they're being reaffirmed for another term. Our terms are three years at a time for an elder and two years at a time for a deacon. And so we as the congregation, and, and then that gets put before the congregation uh, for a month. So all of July, you've had access to who these guys are across all the campuses. And um, uh, then this morning, we're going to um, affirm that. And the way that we do that is you, um, if, if there's somebody on there you don't know, and you think, well, I don't feel comfortable affirming somebody I don't know, that's okay. You just leave that blank, and it doesn't count against anybody. And you affirm the, the men that you know for those Positions, But as we do this, what's this recognition? We want to remind ourselves, this is uh, the means or the mechanism that we've submitted to in our um, church governance, our process of, of how do we go about um, identifying who God is appointing among us to lead us. And, and in that, so, so the elders, who, who are the elders by whom, as members of Bethel, we come under their covering and come under their authority and come under their care. And so this is the process that we go by. But I want you to see one of the interesting things in this passage is how, how elders become elders while we have this process or this means there's something even greater going on behind that. And so what this is, is this is a picture in Acts 20. I'll give you a little, uh, it's, it's sort of this biblical portrait of church leadership, but it's also this sort of biblical portrait of what it means to be a church under a, a church leadership. And so what's happening is Paul, he's at the end of his uh, third missionary journey, and he is he has been taking a collection at all the churches that he, uh, that he planted and that he would go to, and he's been taking up this collection from the Gentile churches, and that collection of, of money, it's, it's really money and resources, but primarily it's just a big bag of money, and he's going to take it to Jerusalem. He's going to take it to the church in Jerusalem. And so there's two things about it. One, it is a very real gift in that the church in Jerusalem, those believers... They are Jewish believers, part of the church, that find themselves in a unique persecution in Jerusalem in that they are being shut out, not just by, you know, the Romans and all the people that are there. They're being shut out by their fellow Jews and their family for following this man, Jesus. And so they're having a hard time making a living and, and eating and caring for their needs. And so Paul is bringing this gift to that church to help supply the needs they have. It is also very symbolic gift. Paul talks about it like, okay, we're the Gentile churches out here, and the Gentile churches want to share out of our abundance in, in kind or in, in saying, listen, the, the Jewish church, the Jerusalem church, you shared the glorious riches of the gospel with us. 
We, we came to faith in Christ because of you. And so we want to send back to you a portion of our earthly um, treasures, our, our earthly means. And so it's also symbolic. And Paul is determined that he, he wants to personally see that gift delivered to Jerusalem and for all that it would mean to them. And so, um, but along the way here, you, you find it, you know, so 19 and 20 and 21 and 22, as Paul's making this journey to Jerusalem, you discover Paul realizes he, he's going to go to Jerusalem and then ultimately, you know, he wants to go to Rome. But he, he realizes that this trip to Jerusalem will be his last trip to Jerusalem. And that um, suffering of some kind awaits him in Jerusalem. He's fully aware of this. To the degree that he's going to meet with the elders of Ephesus to say, You'll ne we will never see each other on this side of eternity face to face again. And so Paul knows that, listen, it is a great sacrifice to go there. It will cost him, ultimately, it'll cost him his life. He's going to go to Jerusalem. What happens is he ends up getting arrested, putting under Roman um, uh, custody. He's going to be shipped off to Rome. He's going to sit in a prison. And that is where he will be until Nero lops his head off several years later. And while Paul doesn't know all those details, he knows that it will not go well for him. And so, on this trip, he is going to come by the shore. Uh, they're, gonna, they're sailing from the, uh, the, the Greece area. He's going to come by the shore. There's a port called Miletus. From Miletus, someone could run about, oh, 10 to 14 miles to Ephesus, um, and that's the location we're talking about. So, so pick up with me, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of the repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he comes, Paul comes, and so he had spent three years in Ephesus. So of all the churches Paul planted, he spent longer in Ephesus than he did anywhere else. And he's going to tell them later, listen, I taught the whole council of God while I was in Ephesus, and he, he taught daily, and he taught in the public, and he taught in, in the homes privately. And Paul ministered there, and he knew these elders. These elders um, he had appointed, and these were the elders that were lead, leading and covering and caring and protecting and serving the church. And so before he goes to Jerusalem and before he, he's going to be gone, he wanted to see them one last time. And when he shows up, he reminds them. So it's, it's kind of like, you might think of this like this is a little elder retreat, you know? I mean, so he's got, he's got the elders, they got, you know, they got this nice beach place. I'm sure there were some boats and 
um, you know, little uh, uh, sea cabin or something. I don't know. And there they are, and they're talking about it. And Paul's rehearsing with them. This is the vision of the church. This is what we do. And um, this is, um, um, you know, and, and how are we doing? And, and what does it look like? And we do that as leaders here. We get, we pull apart. We, um, you know, break away. We go through our vision statement. And we say, okay, are we doing what it is God's called us to do? And we feel that God's called us to do. And we examine that. Do we need to make corrections? And then, you know, how are we doing as, as uh, elders and leadership? Are we, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it? And that's what's going on here. And Paul says to him, he says, listen, you, you know how I lived among you. He, he says that because he wants them to do what it is that he has done. What Paul's going to do is he's going to be handing off the leadership of the church in Ephesus that he loves to these elders. Actually, he'd already had. They already were leading, and he's reminding them this is what it means to lead as an elder. So, serving the Lord, he says. Every, everything Paul did, he did in service to the Lord. He, he did it to Jesus. It, this was the ministry of Jesus. It wasn't the ministry of Paul. And, and that's the message of, of the whole book of Acts. It's the acts of Jesus through the apostles and what Jesus is doing to build his church. And so, he's telling you there's humility, this humility towards God feeling towards God that he has, God has absolute right over you. And feeling towards man, indebted to all because of God's gracious gift. So Paul's desire, it wasn't, he wasn't looking to be lifted up. He wasn't looking to be elevated by the people that he served. He, he wanted to be humbled by God. Peter will say it in 1 Peter chapter 5, you know, humbled under his mighty hand, knowing he's the one that'll lift you up. So Paul's not seeking any esteem from men, and he talks about his tears. He knows their struggles. He'd entered into the struggles, into the hard places of people's lives with them. And he talks about the trials. He speaks of the beasts when he talks about them in 1 Corinthians. He fought beasts. And there's the plots of the of the Jews to undermine him. He was stoned and he was kicked out of towns and left for dead and his characters attacked. He was criticized. But he didn't shrink from any of that because he saw it. Listen, everything was profitable. And he declared everything that was profitable. It never deterred him from what he was called to. He cared more about the good of the people that God had called him to and the, the life-giving, saving gospel of Jesus. He cared more about those things than he ever did about himself or his own glory. More of what was profitable to them than his own popularity with them. So you say, I mean, I say this, and... and you know, the, it's the role of the elders among us. So to the elders, we would say this morning, seek, seek uh, the good of this congregation to which you're called 
above your own good, above all things, actually. Listen, elders battle this, but pastors battle this. And it's easier. I mean, listen, it is so easy to fall into um, what, what wanting you to, to like us or to, you know, um, uh, be, be, be happy w- with us. And, and, and listen, we, we like people to like. I mean, I like people to like me. Don't get me wrong. I like that. But there's a time in which, so elders, you're called that in the midst of hard things, you do the hard things for the sake of the good of the congregation. And notice, listen, to, to the Jews, to the Greeks, to everyone, repentance and faith. And what he's talking about there is, listen, so he did it from pulpits and in the coffee shops and in living rooms because the natural condition of every man and woman, even believers, maybe especially believers, our natural condition is to drift into sin and away from God, drifting towards faith in ourselves or faith in our resources or faith in our own abilities and it's where the elders come and gently confront sin in our life and help us fight for our faith in Jesus. We all need shepherds in our life. We need the role and the care of the shepherds in our life. Well, he's going to talk about what's next for him. And, he, and so in, in 22, pick up with me in verse 22 of Acts chapter 20. It says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit and not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I, I know I'm going there. And some kind of imprisonment or some kind of affliction awaits me. In verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul's saying, listen, here's what's next for me. I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem, and, and what he's doing is he's, he's sort of transferring this leadership, transferring this vision, transferring this baton of the, of the gospel going out and the protection of the saints. And, the, and he's saying, listen, this is a, it's, there's, there's a continuity of leadership, and just so you know, the, the, the thing I've been called to and the vision of my life and the gospel that I proclaim, it's worth dying for. And I just want you to know that. It's worth dying for. It's worth being afflicted for. It is not the gospel of moral reform. That, that's not worth dying for. The gospel of everybody just being a little better than they were yesterday, that's not worth dying for. The gospel of salvation through good works or the gospel of social action and 
or the gospel of self-esteem or the gospel of political correctness. None of those things are worth dying for. Paul says, I want you to know what's worth dying for. And so in verse 26 and 27, he helps us. He says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of all the, uh, of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. His conscience is clear. Now notice, this is this transfer. He's saying, this is what I did. And he's going to say to him, now I want you to do what I did. I, I want you to shepherd and lead and elder this congregation. And this is the vision of it. And this is what we do. And so Paul tells those elders. And our elders this morning hear it. Our, it's the whole counsel of God. That you'd know it, that you'd love it, that you'd spend time in it, that you would be convicted by it. That you wouldn't use the Bible as just a, a, a jumping off platform to your own ideas and your own, you know, sort of earthly common wisdom, but that you would be transformed and shaped and led by the truth of God's Word. You'd seek the hearing of that word everywhere that you can. So in 28, look at what he says. Now here's this going to be his formal charge to these elders. Um, and it says this, So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit's made you overseers uh, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, and from among your own selves will men arise, speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus and how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul will say to him, beginning in verse 28, so keep a constant watch. P -p Pay careful attention. A, a constant watch and a careful attention. So, so be, be mindful of the congregation. Be mindful of the flock. Be, be attentive and, and know what's going on. And, 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 and that there would be this unceasing vigilance. And there's three reasons he gives in this that, that, that he's, the elders are supposed to pay careful attention, the elders and the deacons and the leadership of the church. And the first is this, is because they are appointed by the Holy Spirit to care for the flock. Did you see that? They're appointed by the Holy Spirit 
to care for the flock. So I always, you know, we always remind, so I do, somebody does, uh, you know, stand up, you know, get together here in a few weeks and we'll all be together. And we'll say this, okay, elders and, and deacons and, and he, let's remember why you're here. You're not here because you passed an interview. You're not here because, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the church voted on July the 28th, that Sunday morning, to affirm you. I mean, those were the means and that was the mechanism. But you have to see that above all that and, and, and underneath all that and behind all of that, you are an elder. You eld, if you will. Because the Holy Spirit appointed you. That's, that's some gravity right there. And we say, I don't care how you think you got here. This is how you got here. The Holy Spirit appointed you. And, and he appointed you. Notice what, what it says, appointed him. Because the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God which he purchased with the blood. What it means is the blood of his son. So you stop and think about this for a minute. The price that someone is willing to pay for something, that the price that somebody's willing to pay for an object demonstrates that object's value. For the church... Were you? God gave his only son as a sin-bearing sacrifice. His son, his eternal son, his only son, bled and died for the church. How could God have paid any more? So what does God care about the church? Yes. It is of infinite eternal, precious value you are. And elders, by the way, you've been appointed to care for what God has bought, has obtained, what is his treasure, the church. Isn't that staggering? why the Holy Spirit has to appoint you. Because if you knew this, you'd go, no, 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 I don't. that's great. That's awesome. I hope people do that. I'm not doing it. Would you say that's why the Holy Spirit does that? So what one writer says, he says this, he says, I'm convinced that one of the reasons elders neglect the congregation and many men lack the desire to be elders is that they fail to comprehend the inestimable value of the church of God and fail to appreciate the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When men grasp the eternal value of God's flock and nearly unimaginable price paid for our salvation, they should be inspired to commit their lives wholeheartedly to caring for the church of God. As the great hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote, love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Elders, you should be inspired by what you've been entrusted with. 
Well, it's because they've been appointed. But notice also what he says to them is they've been appointed because, uh, but, but because the church has an enemy. You, you have an enemy. We have an enemy, whether seen or, or unseen. It, um, uh, old Puritan Richard Baxter wrote that Satan has a special eye for the guardians of the flock. Satan knows that if he can destroy the shepherds, he can swiftly invade and devour the flock. Notice that there are wolves from the outside. There are those that will be It'll come up from amongst us. And the, and the, and the shepherds, the, the elders, guard us from that. Listen to John Piper's helpful. He describes the wolves of today. He says this. He says, let, let me just mention one feature to watch out for in the recognition of wolves. He says, as, as I've watched the movement from biblical faithfulness to liberalism in, in persons and institutions that I've known over the years, this feature stands out. An emotional disenchantment with faithfulness to what is old and fixed. And an emotional preoccupation with what is new and fashionable or relevant in the eyes of the world. So so what marks a possible wolf in the making is not simply that he rejects or accepts any particular biblical truth, but, but that he's not deeply oriented in the Bible more oriented in experience. He isn't captured by the great old faith once for all delivered to the saints. Instead, he's enamored by what's new and innovative. Oh, listen, good elders must be creative. But the indispensable mark when it comes to doctrinal fitness is faithfulness to what is fixed in Scripture disciplined, humbled submission to the affirmations of the Bible that are carefully and reverently studied and explained and cherished. And when you see that spirit go, there's a wolf in the making. Paul wants them to love God's people with their Love for his word. To build it into their lives, to sow it into their lives, and to do it publicly and privately and in coffee shops and in living rooms and on the telephone. And so, elders, it means you have to love God's word, know it, and spend time in it and cherish it. You're the steward of it. Well, in verse 31, he says, listen, elders, imitate Paul. Do, do, do what I did. Remember what I did and do what I did. And then in 32, 34, this is the sort of the commendation to the elders. Um, you know, so so who, who cares for the elders? You know, if the elders are caring for the church, they're caring for us. Who cares for the elders? Notice what he says in um, 32. So, so now, and now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know what Paul says? You care for the elders. You know who's going to care for you? God's going to care for you. You as elders, as you meet, you care for one another. God will care for you.
and the inheritance for bringing the church of God before God sanctified, presenting the church. You get this picture later in Scripture that, that what happens is, is that the elders, they will give an account. That they, will, they will be ones that give an account for your soul. God will stand there, and at some point in this, in the, in this judgment of the church and the believers, you know, and it's okay. Bethel Bible Church, all the elders will be gathered, and it's okay. Now it's time to present. It's time to present Bethel to Him. That there is a joy there, unspeakable. When you do that, well, uh, Paul gives us a compass there. You know, in verse thirty-five, you call it a compass. Work hard. Remember the words of Jesus: "Give your life away, giving up something less for the sake of something greater." Elders have to be filled up, and then willing to be poured. So, so here's some things. Here's, here's what I think Paul's saying. So sort of some summary statements here. One, Paul's concerned to reach the whole population of Asia with the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. Well, we should imitate Paul there. But Paul shared all truth with all people in all settings in all possible ways. But Paul taught the whole gospel to the whole city with his whole strength. Paul resolved to give all of his life to be faithful to all that God had called him to in every setting and every circumstance, past, present, and future. And the elders are to follow Paul's example because they are appointed as overseers to care for the church that God purchased with the blood of his son. And that's this biblical picture. Now, in this is also the biblical picture of how do we as the congregation submit to the elders. So no one elder, you know, do you see it in, the, in, the, in, in, in this setting? You see it in other places? No one elder has any authority over any of us. It is in the plurality of elders. It is, in the, it is in the gathering of the elders together that that authority lies for the church and that we come under that authority. That we come and put ourselves under that covering. And so the congregation, and in, this is biblical language, but it's stuff that, you know, we, we bristle at. Because we live in the 21st century where we live, but this is, this is language that's helpful for us. We're to submit to our elders, obey our elders, imitate our elders, pray for our elders. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. Be shepherds of the church of God, he says. And so part of what that's saying is, okay, congregation, how do we know? So if they're to keep watching, this is the mandate. Why the mandate? And part of it is, okay, how do we as the congregation, how do we know the truth? How do we love the truth? How do we stay in the truth? If, as Tozer says, 
What comes to our mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. How do we know we're rightly thinking about God? Because there's so many competing things out there. So much discord and disharmony. Competing voices and seemingly competing truths. How do we know? And the answer, according to the Bible is that the Holy Spirit appoints shepherds among us to, to lead us. And I mean lead. They're on authority over us. They don't show up and they say, okay, well, all right, guys, what do you want to do today? And No, they lead us. But they do that tenderly. You know, they say things like, this is... This is the elder response. It's our understanding on the basis of Scripture and on the basis of everything we know and on the basis of the experience that we've had that this is the truth and this is what we think. We think this. We think this is what the Bible teaches. And we've worked really hard to come to that. and We examine ourselves and we examine each other. And, and there's an authority and tenderness that comes with that. Listen, the truth is we, we don't like anybody to tell us how to live, and, uh, and, and yet the Bible says, listen, we need to find people that shepherd us, that care for us that way. L listen to the balance in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. That's heavy. It's the authority part there. But then it says this. To do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Because that'd be of no benefit to you. You're supposed to be in a relationship and pray for and care for you. Fight for the joy of our elders amongst us. Because then that's good for us. Well, I want to show you one more thing, and I'll wrap up with this, but I don't want you to miss it. It's verses 36 to 38, and what Luke is doing in, the, in, the, in this Acts and in telling Paul's story, and many commentators note this, what he's doing is he's, he's, kind of com he's comparing the, the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. This is Paul's last journey there. It's going to be uh, uh, there was Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem, and then there's Paul's last journey to Jerusalem, and there are things that Luke's trying to say, look, these things are kind of alike, and yet, there's also a sense in which Luke goes, yeah, but there's something, there's something so different in this, and we don't want to miss the beauty of it. Look, look, look at verse 36 to 38. It says this, and when he'd said these things, he knelt down, and he prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of them all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he'd spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to his ship. But Paul is going to go into Jerusalem. He's going to face hardship and suffering, and there's a lot of things like that with Jesus. There's a lot of weeping and, and all of these things. But here, here's the fundamental difference. You read this at the end of 21 or 20, and then you go into 21, and you go into 22, all before Paul gets to Jerusalem. And what you see is that Paul is always surrounded by people that love him and his friends, and they're hugging him and kissing him and don't want to let go. And just saying, don't go, don't go, stay with us. And, and, he's, and he's so supported by them all the way through. 
Can you contrast that reality of Paul with the reality of Jesus? That when Jesus goes to the Jerusalem, he goes with his disciples. And yet what happens is, is that Jesus becomes more and more isolated on his way to the cross. He steps into more and greater loneliness all the way to the cross. In fact, the night before he's to be arrested, he goes to Gethsemane and he says, Peter, James, and John, come with me. Would you come with me, guys? That in his humanity, he's struggling and he's feeling the weight of what it is that he's going to do. In, in his humanity, he's feeling the divine weight of what he's going to do. So you guys are my friends. Would you come would you pray with me? Would you watch over me? Would you pray over me for an hour? And they all, you know what they did? They fall asleep. And there is this loneliness, a deep, cosmic, excruciating loneliness that Jesus steps into. And we know from Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone. And it culminates as he's on the cross. When he finds himself cut off from everything, cursed. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My eternal father forsaken me. And the question becomes, why does Jesus step into that loneliness? And I'd say he steps into it so that you don't have to. He steps into it so that you can be reconciled with God. He becomes the sin offering. He becomes sin. He becomes everything you are and dies with it. So that you don't have to. So that you can be reconciled to God. So that you can know God as your Father. So you, that every time God looks at you, He sees the beauty and perfection and joy and pleasure that he sees in his son. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us not only does Jesus' death reconcile us, does the shed blood of Jesus' death on the cross reconcile us to God. You know what else it says? It reconciles us to each other. So not only do we become friends with God, we can be friends with each other. Knit together in the church under the covering of the elders who are appointed by the Spirit for our care and our, for our protection. And see, the reality is, what are you waiting for? I mean, a, it is easy to say, listen, we say it all, it's so busy, you say you're so busy, you think you build, you've bought the lie that you're too busy to intimately invest and be invested in and that lie of busyness, I think, lots of times masks the, the reality that we are afraid to be accountable. We are afraid to lose a lack of privacy that we so cling to. And yet we find ourselves outside of what the design is to be in the church. And remember, Jesus died in the utter cosmic Loneliness, a loneliness greater than anyone experienced ever in the history of the world. So that we could get together 
so that we could be friends, so that we could intimately know and share and love one another in the good times and the hard times under the covering of those men appointed to care for us. It is not good for man or for woman to be alone. It's why we are called the body of Christ. So I invite you this morning. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I invite you into the body of Christ. You do that by just simply believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's the Son of God, made man, fully God and fully man, and died the death you deserve. He said he became your sin. He became all of your sin. And he died with it, and he died for it. And he was raised from the dead three days later so that we might know we can have new life too. Believing he died for your sins and that he was raised to new life that he offers you. And then let me say to you this morning, maybe you're a believer, but you're not part of the church. You don't got that. You You've been reconciled to God, but you have not experienced what it is to be reconciled to each other. And I invite you in, as scary as that feels, to come in under the covering of men appointed by the Holy Spirit to love you, care for you, protect you in the intimacy of this thing called the church. So if you would, would you bow with me and let's pray, and then we'll, we'll exit here. And if you haven't gone...